It's Wednesday, June 12th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today for Motley Fool Pro and Options, Brian Hinman and Jeff Fisher. Thanks for being here, guys. Hey, Chris. Hey, Chris. Good to see you. Who's running the desk over at Pro and Options if you guys are in here? Is Nick Crow just running amok back in the... Uh, We've in... got Google Auto Car Autopilot going. <laughs> Nice. Um, uh, we're going to do something we haven't done in a long time, which is a round of undervalued, overvalued, and overlooked, uh, with a little bit of a twist on Jeff's suggestion. Um, but this may have just been Jeff's way of just putting the onus on most of the work on your shoulders, Brian. But, I'm, uh, I'm on to him. Always, always. Um, but he can do that. He can do that because he's Jeff Fisher. Um, <laughs> Thanks, let's Jeff. start with uh, with undervalued. When you look out there in the vast universe, What's undervalued? It's hard to believe, by the way, given the run of the market, that anything is undervalued. Not much, Chris. The you know one of the only sectors not to have really participated in this multi-year rally is energy. Um, so naturally, that's where I turn to find something undervalued. Uh, another good area to look is companies that people hate for some reason or another. (laughs) And uh, so I've got a company that fits both of those molds. Uh, The company is Halliburton, ticker symbol. I hate that company. H-A-L. Everyone has a distaste for Halliburton, and no one can really express a good reason why. You want to try? No. Okay. Uh, No, no. Yeah. But a distaste is Perhaps Dick Cheney's association with Halliburton. It It has a lot to do with it. That's probably part of it for some people anyway. Yeah. Anyway... The business of Halliburton, though, is uh, is a pretty good one. They're really well positioned for what's going on in uh, the energy space going forward. Um, so basically, all of the oil and gas that's being found or that has been found uh, lately is really hard to get out of the ground. Um, it is trapped tightly, uh, and it requires a lot of service and technology to yank out. Long gone are the days where we sort of stick a needle in the ground and get old, you know, spindle top gushing out. Right. Um, so Halliburton provides these services, um, you know, once wells are drilled to get the hydrocarbons out of the ground. They're really well positioned um, to provide more and more high tech services to the companies that are getting this out of the ground. Um, so the company's been around for about a hundred years. Um, but the reason that I like them right now, uh, I was going to say the stock's beating the market over the last year. Yeah. The thing that's happened over the, uh, over the past 12 months is 2012 was a really rough year and they're coming through that really rough year, uh, because one of their key inputs, guar that we talk about, the bean that's, that's an input, uh, guar costs have really gone down a lot. And so you're starting to see the financial metrics look more normal okay. with Halliburton, uh, and the Guar market is sort of back under control. Uh, but the real story here is simply that uh, every uh, well that's drilled from now going forward is going to require more and more services. And there are really only three or four companies out there that are well positioned to deliver these really intense services. Halliburton, Schlumberger, Baker Hughes, and Weatherford. Um, and Halliburton's really well positioned in North America, but they are taking the formula that has worked so well for them in, in North America and starting to apply it internationally. And lately, they've been growing faster than Schlumberger and Baker Hughes, which really suggests that they are winning share there. Um, Jeff, uh, I'm guessing... You know, normally I hear about an undervalued stock and I think, oh, maybe I add that to my watch list to just out and out buy some shares of. But I'm guessing you've got maybe perhaps a more esoteric play 
uh, for investors who are seeking a more esoteric play rather than just buying shares of an undervalued stock. Yes, fools. Uh, I'll <laughs> pause a moment, get the kids, gather them around. We're going to talk about options for a few minutes, uh, partly because Motley Fool Pro is reopening the end of this month. We only open once or twice a year. To learn all about it, you can go to proacademy.fool.com, and we have some option ideas there as well and some a lot of guides to using options. Now, Pro is not... Free site. Free site, proacademy.fool.com. Pro is not just about options. We're an absolute returns, long, long, short portfolio uh, seeking to make positive real gains no matter what the market does. Every rolling three years, bar none. And we're making about 11% annualized so far since we opened, so we're doing very well. But let's talk about Halliburton. Here's a way to buy the shares cheaper, potentially, or get income if the shares do not decline to your desired buy price. This is simply called selling put options or selling to open put options or <laughs> writing put options. Many different ways to say it. So right now, Halliburton is about a $42 stock. You could sell to open put options, Chris, with a strike price of $38 that expire in August. And you'll get paid right now $0.75 cents per put option or $75 per put because each option represents 100 shares. Gotcha. So that payment is about a 2% yield on your potential buy price in about 60 days, in about two months. That's great yield, obviously, in, in two months, 12% annualized. And again, the stock is 42 Your strike price, where you would buy shares, is 38 so the stock needs to fall 9.5% to get to your strike price. If it doesn't fall that much, 9% or more, you just collect this income, this 2%, and you can sell another put. If it does fall more than 9%, by your expiration in August, you get to buy the shares at 38 You still keep what the option paid you. So your start price is thirty-seven twenty-five. That's your. That's where you start to own the stock. So this is a way to make income. In this case, very good income, two percent in two months. Yeah. Or get the shares much cheaper if they decline. Yeah, writing puts is fun. It's it's sort of like getting paid to wait and maybe buy shares later. So if you identify a stock that you like, you know, in this case, we're you know suggesting that Halliburton is a stock that we think should be worth more. You know, what Jeff is talking about is saying, okay, we'll be willing to buy shares at $38, and for putting that willingness out there, we're going to collect 2% over the next three months. Yep, and so it's defensive, too. If the market does decline the next few months uh, and, say, Halliburton ends up going nowhere over that time, you've still made money. So it's a great way to make money in flat or even modestly or sharply lower markets. I've been selling put options for about a dozen years now, and I can't see ever, ever stopping because you can still have your long-term stock portfolio, and then sell some puts alongside that to complement that. So you're making income even when the market is is flat or going nowhere. One more quick idea, Chris. So that was a short-term sell-to-open puts on Halliburton. You can go longer-term and sell-to-open January 2014 $42 puts, which are right about where the stock trades right now, right? and get paid nearly $4 per share, $400 per put that you write. And that's a 9% yield in about seven months and lets you buy the stock at a net 10% below today's share price if the stock is below 42. So again, you can you can generate great yield and have a more defensive position. The only thing to remember, anytime you sell to open a put option, be ready to buy the stock. Uh, 100 shares for every put option that you sell, be ready to buy the stock. If it does fall, 
at your expiration date. Most most options are not exercised before the expiration date. So well, and one of the things that uh, that Brian said that really resonates with me is this whole notion of uh, the competitive landscape. And when we talked earlier in the year about Boeing. Uh, a couple of people made the point like, hey, Boeing um, is in a business uh, for the cha- for all the challenges they had with the Dreamliner. They are fortunate enough to be in a business that has a high barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Any one of us can decide tomorrow to just uh, start our own daily deal online site. Uh, but starting your own airline or in this case, uh, in the case of Halliburton, starting your own oil field services company. Uh, good luck. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of technology, a lot of chemistry involved in what they do. Uh, and recently, see, and I was no good at chemistry in school, <laughs> so I'm out. Recently, the industry has been consolidating, so the larger players that I mentioned have been buying up the smaller guys, um, which has really boosted their competitive position in negotiations. Their uh, the thinking is that they'll probably be able to negotiate better contracts, sort of, you know, as as these new deals come up. Let's move over to overvalued and, uh, again, a stock that's, that's certainly done well over the last year, and maybe that's precisely why uh, you think it's overvalued, because I think last time I checked, it's, I think, within a dollar of its all-time high. Yeah, so... You're so going pharmacy on I'm me. I'm going pharmacy. So Walgreen is the uh, is my overvalued stock, ticker symbol WAG Walgreen, uh, another company that's been around for 100 years or so. Uh, Walgreen is the largest... A pharmacy operator here in the United States have almost 8,400 stores uh, across the U.S. Um, their closest competitor is CVS Caremark with about 7,500, 7,600. Um, it's best to think of Walgreens businesses as two businesses. They sort of have what they call the back end, which is the pharmacy business, and then the front end, which is all the other sundry items. So it's all the food that they sell, it's the makeup, uh, that sort of thing. The prescription drug pharmacy business is about 63% of their business. So it's split two-thirds, one-third. Now, the reason I'm bearish on this company is because uh, their competitive environment, I think, is changing for the worse. So if you think about the two businesses they operate, the, on the pharmacy side, they're getting squeezed by some really big players. Uh, uh, their customers include uh, managed care organizations like insurance companies, the government, and pharmacy benefit managers. Recently, uh, those three combined have really been pressuring the prices that they are paying Walgreens and and. and all of the pharmacies, really. So they're getting squeezed on two-thirds of their business from some very big, very powerful players. On the other side, you have the front-end business. Uh, they're getting squeezed by massive expansion by all sort of uh, general merchandisers. So you've got Walmart opening up city stores, Target doing the same. You have, in rural areas, dollar stores ex- you know, expecting to double their store counts. And then you've got all these grocery stores as well uh, who are competing for all of this foot traffic. Um, and grocery stores, in particular, are causing Walgreens and pharmacies problems because they are opening their own pharmacies. And because the pharmacies are such a small percentage of their sales, they're using it as a loss leader. So you've got companies, you know, companies like uh, Wegmans out there who are actually giving away some prescriptions for free, some uh, some generic drugs for free to get people in the door so that they... What d- kinds of drugs? Uh, Lipitor. <laughs> Uh, so, so they're basically using if you've it. You've got a list. I might be, I might be heading to Wegmans. They're using it. it as a loss leader to get foot traffic. So typically, 
you know, Walgreens has, has had success making money both in the back end prescription business and in the front end, you know, but they are getting squeezed from all angles now. And all of these competitors are absolutely ruthless and showing no signs of stopping. Before I kick it over to Jeff, so all of these challenges you just laid out, what is driving the stock to within shouting distance of its all time high? Yeah, and so again, over the last year, it's done quite well. So the company's strategic reaction to this is they're saying, okay, no longer, uh, is, so they have always touted that convenience, their locations, convenient locations are what give them an edge. That is not proven out, um, because convenience by definition, as all of these competitors expand, uh, that erodes because, you know, their locations are, are being, you know, infringed upon. So their strategic reaction is saying, okay, now we need to differentiate our stores. We're going to rebrand pharmacy as sort of healthy lifestyle stores um, to get people in. So they're opening up a bunch of flagship stores. There's one in D.C. here. Um, they're basically trying to uh, make high-end the lifestyle store experience. So you walk in and they have sushi, they have grab-and-go healthy sandwiches. Are you kidding? They have makeup counters. No, it, it's 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 a pretty crazy, to me, um, idea. And really what they're trying, all they're trying to do is... Trying to compete with Whole Foods. I was just going to yeah. say, sushi at Walgreens? That's, that's like the, you know, the the meatballs at Ikea. Yeah, like, no, I'm here reaction. for furniture. I don't need meatballs. Yeah, they're trying to downplay uh, the importance of pharmacy and up up play the idea of this is where you come if you want to show a healthy image. Um, and mm. so they're spending a lot to do this. They're, you know, redesigning their stores. Uh, and with all the competition out there, I just don't know that that is differentiated enough and going to catch on. How would you play this, Jeff? Would you just outright short this stock or something a little uh, you, you more could, creative? You could. The reason I wouldn't right now, despite Brian's bearish points, is that it is Walgreens. It's age-old company that's doing pretty well on most metrics even now. But the concerns Brian sees are more down the road, that they are their competitive position is falling apart slowly. So instead of shorting it directly, what you could do is set up a bear call spread. And for people who know options well, they'll, they'll get this right away. For those who don't, we'll walk you through step by step the potential outcomes. I see Mac behind the glass polishing up his resume. Like, oh man, he's killing my podcast. Uh, so what you would do is sell to open a January 2014 $55 call and at the same time buy to open a January $60 call. It's called a spread. And okay. The, and the difference that 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 name comes from the difference between your strike prices which is 55 and 60 so it's a $5 spread now let me point out the stock right now is around 49.50 by selling a $55 call you're essentially shorting Walgreens at 55 so you, you have a whole cushion it can go up more than 10% before your short call comes into play gotcha great you got that part i got that part <laughs> so we're short at 55 and now by buying a $60 call that's going long Walgreens at 60, our risk is completely capped at 60. So we're short at 55, but we're capped at 60. Our risk, we have no more risk of being short there at 60. And by setting up the spread, we're being paid, we're collecting a $1 net credit that we get to keep. What if come January, the this, this stock is at 58? And so, it's right in the, or, you know, or 5750, it's right in the middle. Perfect. So let's talk about that. So we're collecting a dollar to set up the spread. And we're risking $4 because the 
spread difference is five dollars, but you you got one dollar up front. Yep. So we can make one dollar on our four dollars at risk, which is a twenty five percent return on your capital by January. Great return, and we earn that as long as Walgreens again doesn't rise above fifty five, and right now it's forty nine fifty. So that's a big ten percent move Walgreens needs to make by January before this spread would work against us. So let's talk about the outcome. If if the stock is anywhere below 55 at the January 2014 expiration, the whole spread expires unused. We keep the dollar we were paid. On the $4 we had at risk, we get we made again 25%. If Walgreens soars to to 56, so if it soars 13% to 56, that's our break even price. Because again, we're short at 55, but we we made a dollar. We kept a dollar right. on the spread. So fifty six is break even. We broke even. We closed the spread for a dollar. Nothing gained. Nothing lost. And Walgreens has soared. So that's pretty nice. Much better than if we had shorted today at forty nine. Um, we'd be in a. We're in a much better state with the spread than if we had shorted directly today. Now, for every dollar above fifty six that Walgreens Walgreens climbs, we lose a dollar or one hundred dollars per spread that we set up up to sixty. So, Chris, to your question, if Walgreens is 58 at expiration, we've lost $2 per share, $200 per spread. So, again, the most we can lose is the $4 or $400 because every option is 100 shares yep. on the spread. That's the most we can lose. So if it soars to 70, we still only lose those $4. Yeah, that's the great thing about about spreads is they're defined risk positions. So who knows? Let's say, you know, news come, we put this position on and news comes out tomorrow that uh, customers love getting sushi from Walgreens. The stock goes to 90, right? Yep. Our loss is capped at, you know, that $4 a share using the spread. Whereas if we shorted the stock directly, we would have, you know, massive, massive losses. So Chris, at proacademy.fool.com, I believe we have a guide up there on bearish spreads. If not, I'll go check and, and see if we can throw one up, up there. there. Uh, but again, in this case, Walgreens, which is $49, as long as it remains below 55 by expiration, the spread pays you 25% on your risk. So it's a, it's a great way to be a little bearish on Walgreens and still have a lot of breathing room. Once again, it's an example of a corporate decision that I wish I were a fly on the wall in the room when it went down, when the guy or gal at Walgreens stood up and said, here's my idea, sushi. I, I know. When Brian and, told me that, I couldn't, couldn't I mean, wh- what do you think? Do you think there was any debate about that, or did the, everyone else around the table just stand up and give the, that person a standing ovation? Well, they probably said, sushi goes really well next to the in-house coffee bars we have in there. Yeah, so it makes perfect, perfect sense. So uh, Wegmans giving away free prescription Free generic generics, yep. so they thought they'd combat that by giving away sushi, but not free sushi. Right, it doesn't just doesn't work. <laughs> They're thinking outside the box. You just don't understand it. That's your problem. I love Wegmans. Uh, for any of our dozens of listeners who are still awake, um, overlooked. <laughs> Thanks again. Let's uh, <laughs> let's just quickly touch on uh, sort of overlooked, and and you had hit upon something this morning, Jeff. Um, uh, it, it is almost a given in the world of investing that people looking for exciting exposure outside the US the, the magic two word phrase emerging markets and you pointed out that actually if you look at emerging markets lately they're not doing so hot yeah and and it's it, it has been undercovered i believe we've all known emerging markets have lagged a little bit but just looking recently they have underperformed greatly 
The best barometer for it, in my opinion, is the Vanguard Emerging Markets ETF, ticker is VWO. In the past year, it's basically flat, up 2%, while the S&P 500 is up 23%. So great divergence, uh, great delta, you could say, as an options person. Year to date, the S&P is up you know, 14, 15%, and emerging markets are down more than 11%. So again, that's a 25 percentage point difference. Emerging markets have just done horribly the past year or two. And now over history, for all the, the rah-rahs that emerging markets get, they do tend to underperform, history has found, really developed markets, because developed markets get, their stocks get more of a premium price, and emerging market stocks typically trade at a discount. Price because of the risk. See, as someone who has great interest in the media, I, whenever we talk about sort of overlooked, I always like to think in terms of, well, wait a minute, why, why, why would something be overlooked? What is the interest there? And I think at least part of it you can probably chalk up to the run that the U.S. market has made, uh, and that's you know, and, and it stands to reason that the U.S. financial media would cover a rising U.S. market in in that manner, um, and yet. Um, you know, there there is money to be made either betting against emerging markets or just staying out of them. So th- this is one of those where I'm scratching my head a little bit. I don't know why this isn't getting just a little bit more coverage. And that's true. We've looked at China in, in Motley Fool Pro in the past. We've looked at China many times to short it because it looked so overinflated and hyped. But, but do you want to step in front of that train? Yeah. Maybe a bearish spread is a better way to do it. <laughs> But going back all the way to 2008, we remember when so many people were talking about in the media, too, this is the end of America, in a sense, the end of the dollar being oh, the yeah, sure. reserve currency. and all. Time to buy gold. Those people, sh- yeah, buy gold, <laughs> cash. Uh, those people should really be you know, held accountable at this point because the S&P since then is up about 12% annualized and the MSCI World Index is only up 7% annual, so nearly half as much. The U.S. has nearly doubled the performance of world markets since 2008. Go, USA! We'll wrap up there. (laughs) Brian Hinman, Jeff Fisher. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.